If you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9, be taking our text from. Romans chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 13 this morning, Lord willing, on the message I've titled from our text, Not All Israel Are of Israel. Romans chapter 9, starting with verse 6. And here the Bible says, Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a, a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. Thank you for the reading of your word. I'm praying now that you'll help us to enlighten the scripture for us this morning, God. May the Holy Spirit just shine that light upon it. And may you do a work in our hearts today. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, as we pick up here in part number 31 of our Rooting Through Romans Bible Sermon Series, uh, we continue in chapter 9. We started last week looking at chapter 9. And we saw in those first five verses that Paul was so burdened over the salvation of his fellow Jew. Now, here the Bible keeps referring to Israel. Uh, you can interchangeably use Israel with Jew nowadays, but we refer to those from that bloodline as Jews. Uh, that simply, that word Jew comes from the word Judah, and it's, it's short for that. And then uh, Israel, though, is combined in here. Uh, and Paul was, was talking to them about how he was so burdened and troubled and worried continuously in his mind over their salvation. He even said at one point that if he could, he would wish that he would even be a curse from Christ for his brethren. So he was willing to trade his own salvation for the salvation of his fellow Jews. Uh, so we pick back up here now with this rhetorical question really is, is there. It is, has God, is God's word not taken effect then? If all these things, Paul, that you've been saying so far are true, and if Israel has rejected their Messiah and Christ, then doesn't that mean God's word is, is null and void? He, he broke his promises. All those promises he made, the covenants he made with our father Abraham, and, and uh, that he was going to bless his seed, and, and all this, does that mean that God has broken his promises? And so Paul has to address that question because he knows that's what's on their mind. Remember, this letter is written to the church, those that were saved in Rome, and it's, it's mixed with several Gentile and Jewish uh, Christians. And so naturally, that's going to be the question. And the, the unbelieving Jew also would want to question Paul on this. Well, now, Paul, if, if all this is true about what you say about this man, Jesus being our Messiah, then then obviously then something's wrong because all those promises God made to us have not come true. And so and Paul has to address this, and he wants to make sure that he does it in the right way. And so the way he does it is he takes them back to the Old Testament, 
to prove to them that God's promises have never changed. They've always been the same. They've just not understood them correctly. And so we started that this past Wednesday, actually, there at the top of chapter 9. And, and we see now that Paul's focus and attention, as we said last time, is solely upon Israel. Um, all before this, it's, it's mainly focused on the church, on Christians, but now his attention has to come to Israel. And it will be that way all the way through chapter 11. And as we said last time, the Jews rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They did not believe that he was the one in whom God had promised he was going to send to be their Savior, their Messiah. And so uh, Jesus himself had gave a stinging rebuke to the Jews during his days here in his earthly ministry, just before his ministry was over. In Matthew chapter 13, and verse 15, listen to what Jesus said to these people. He said, for this people's heart is wax gross. And he's referring to the Jews, those of Israel, Hebrews. Their heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. You see, He's not going to heal them as long as they reject him. And healing means the, the healing of their, their spiritual in, uh, condition. Uh, and also, they were looking for a, a Savior to come and, and get Rome out of there and to set up a kingdom and all this. And Jesus said, listen, your heart is waxed so gross. You don't see the grace of God here. You don't understand who I am. He came as their Savior and they rejected him. And so uh, they're not going to be converted. And uh, because of their continued unbelief, God pulled a veil or darkness over the Jew so that they're unable to understand. Now, to us, that seems so strange. Uh, why would God not want them to, to comprehend the message of the gospel? Well, Paul says this in Romans 11 and 8. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And when Paul said that in that day, back 2,000 years ago, it's the same today. They are still in darkness. Their ears are still closed. Their eyes are still in slumber. They don't understand the gospel. And But that does not uh, keep us from sharing the gospel with them. There'll be Jews that will come to the knowledge of Christ, even in this day, even though this darkness and veil is pulled over them. And so the Jews in Jesus' day, and in Paul's day, and in our day today are still blinded. They claim that this man Jesus that we talk about was not the promised Messiah. In fact, they say, well, even our religious leaders rejected him. If they rejected him, then it must be so that he is not the Messiah. They're still waiting on the Messiah. And he's already came. Jesus, as we quoted last time, said that they had missed the time of their visitation when their Messiah would come, and they missed it. And he wept over that city because of it. But here in this chapter, in the next two chapters, Paul is defending God's word, his promises. Um, and it's against accusations that God has, has broken his promises. And he'll take them back through history, back to 
uh, Genesis and Exodus and uh, Hosea and Isaiah, and he'll take them to a bunch of places in the Old Testament to prove to them that God's promise is still binding, and there's a, a con consistent chain link all the way through there until the present day. And so um, I will say this. This chapter is can be controversial. A lot of people uh, misunderstand it. They misinterpret it. Um, the Calvinists love it because they believe that it shines a light on their tulip theology, and so they can force that on you because of what's in here, and we'll see that and understand it as we continue. But look at verse 6, back in our opening text, Romans 9 and 6. Paul says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel which are Israel. So right away, Paul addresses this unspoken question uh, about is God's word, is it no effect now? And so if, if God's promise to the nation of Israel is not in effect, then then why would they even believe? What, what would keep them to believe? Well, uh, all those things that he listed in Romans 9 and 4 that we studied last time, let me read that to you, Romans 9 and 4. He says, Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption? Make sure you, you take notice of these words he's using. These are the promises. Adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. There's six things right there that the Jews held strict to. These are the things God promised us. He gave us. He said that you're my people. I'm your God. And I promise you all these things. So in other words, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the service, the promises, they're saying now if what Paul's teaching is true, then all that's null and void. It had never come about. But Paul wants to assure them that God's promises for Israel are still true. They are not of none effect. He says, not as though the word of God had taken none effect. And now he begins explaining why that's so. He says, and this is a uh, this may be a puzzling thing here to you. It says, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. That's what we've titled the message this morning. And it almost sounds like a riddle. And you may wonder, what in the world is he talking about? For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Uh, does this mean there's two different Israels? Uh, is there a real Israel and a fake Israel? No, that's not really what he's meaning here. You see, in the remaining seven verses of our opening text today, uh, Paul is going to use two of the greatest Jewish examples, the ones that they cling to, Abraham, Isaac. He's going to use those two men to prove to them that these promises have not been broken. And so the children of Abraham and the children of Isaac. And he's going to shine that light on what happened to those children. Uh, on a side note, in this chapter alone, in chapter 9, Paul uses 16 Old Testament references to prove his point about God. He's going to prove his point here about God's Word still being in effect. In the, in the next section that we'll study next week, Lord willing, uh, he's going to talk about how, how uh, God's fairness... Uh, that God is fair, because that'll be a question they'll ask. You know, is this really fair that God would elect some and not others and save some and not others? And we'll talk about that uh, in that time. But uh, there's, like I said, 16 different references to uh, the Old Testament in this chapter alone. In verse 7, he references Genesis 21 and 12. 
uh, in uh, verse 9, Genesis 18 and 10, and Genesis 18 14. I've got a little chart here that I, 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 I put in my notes today. Um, let me just quickly give you these. Uh, in verse 12, he references Genesis 25 23. In verse 13, Malachi 1 2 and 3. In verse 15, Exodus 33 19. In verse 17, Exodus 9 16. In verse 25, Hosea 2 23. In verse 26, Hosea 1.10. In verse 27, Isaiah 10.22. Genesis 22.17. Hosea 1.10. Verse 28, Isaiah 10.23. Verse 29, Isaiah 1.9. In verse 33, Isaiah 28.16. And Isaiah 8.14. So those are 16 different references used in all the way from verse 7 to verse 33 of this chapter. Amazing. All right, now look at verse 7 as Paul continues uh, using these examples to prove to them that God's word is still in effect. He says in verse 7 of Romans 9, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Okay, so now we all know every Jew alive will trace their lineage, their bloodline, their heritage back to Father Abraham. He is the end-all, be-all for the Jews. Uh, that's just that's the way it is. Uh, so Genesis chapter 16 tells us, we're not going to read it today, but it tells us that Abraham had a son before he had Isaac. We know that. We've studied that. He had a son from Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, and they named him Ishmael. Now Ishmael is not the son of promise. But he was the first son of Abraham. He's not the son of promise. He's not of the seed of, of whose the promise is going to be through is Isaac. Uh, Ishmael would actually be the one that would establish what we know as the Arab nation, which, of course, would spring forth Muslims and, and Islam, things like that. But the Muslim faith will spring from that, uh, from Ishmael. Um, in fact, Muhammad uh, the great Muslim leader, he references back that he's from the man Ishmael. He, they hold Ishmael in a higher esteem than they do Isaac because he's Abraham's firstborn. But the promise of God uh, come through Abraham's son Isaac. And uh, so right away, Paul's making the case that not everyone that's physically born of Abraham is part of that promise. You see? Hey, he's already started here. So, even though you could take Ishmael down to the blood bank and do a, a check on his DNA or his blood and get his sample, and you could trace it back to Abraham, you could say, oh, he's Abraham's uh, offspring. Yeah? Even though you can do that, he's still not part of the promise of God. He's not one of the elect. He's not one that God chose. And so one thing we can learn from reading the Bible is that the Jews had this belief that just because they could trace back their bloodline to Abraham, that that assured that they were redeemed. That assured they were part of the promise. That assured them they were one of the elect. That assured them that they were what we would call today saved. That's what the Jew does. The Jew says, oh, Father Abraham. I claim Abraham as my father. So naturally, I'm saved. I'm in, you know. That's their thought. That's why the religious leaders, and they did this to Jesus, his entire earthly ministry, when Jesus would start teaching to them about the gospel and about grace, 
they immediately ran to Abraham and Moses, but Abraham mainly because he is their way in. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 31 through 47. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read this. Uh, this is Jesus speaking to a lot of people. Uh, there are Pharisees there. There are some that believe when Jesus speaks. And there's, of course, that group that will not believe. They will never believe. They reject Jesus all the time, and they always dispute against him. That's what we got going on here. So there were some that believed, and in John chapter 8, verse 31, the Bible says, Then said Jesus to the, those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, those that said were those that believed on him. But there's another group there of Pharisees that did not believe, and that's who verse 33 is referencing. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Now see, immediately they ran to Father Abraham. They say, we've never been slaves to anyone. We've never been in bondage to Abraham. We're free men through Abraham. Jesus answered them, verse 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. Verse 35, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth uh, ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I've seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. <laughs> Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Now this is, this is a hard thing for these Jews to, to grasp here. Uh, they're they're simply, because of their heritage, their bloodline, claiming that they are God's children because they're from Abraham. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and Jesus tells them, now, wait a minute. Now, when he's talking about Abraham and, and they're not doing the things to Abraham, he's talking about there's two different things. There's a physical Abraham and there's a spiritual Abraham. And so they're not spiritually connected with Abraham. So they're not the true children of Abraham. Physically, yes, they may have sprang from the bloodline of Abraham. But spiritually, no. Because if they were spiritually Abraham's children, they would understand that Jesus is of God. He is God. But they don't. They don't, they don't understand it. 
Jesus told their eyes are, are closed. And so their way of thinking was since they could trace their heritage back to Abraham, that meant they were automatically children of God. They're automatically redeemed, automatically saved. It'd be like me claiming that I am an American Native Indian just because I can go and trace back someone in my bloodline that was Cherokee. And I could say, well, I'm a Native American Indian. I'm clearly not. But I could claim that, but that don't make me so. That's what's going on here. It, and it's, it's like maybe saying, you know, America is a Christian nation. We say that all the time, you know. And I believe we were when we were established. And I'm not so sure now that we can actually claim that America is a Christian nation. Uh, for the things that we're allowing here, I, I, I really don't. I think there's still a lot of Christians here. And I think there's a lot of good people. But this nation as a whole has turned their back on God. They're like the children of Israel. Back before they went into bondage, turned their back on God, worshiping false idols. Uh, but it'd be like somebody saying, well, I'm from America. We're a Christian nation. Yes, I'm a Christian. That'd be the same thing, saying that. That don't make you a Christian at all. It doesn't matter. Or how about this? Even better. Well, I belong to such and such church, so yes, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm guaranteed into heaven I belong to that church. Uh, we used to go around and knock on doors and share the gospel. And uh, we would come to some people. We'd say, you know, are you a Christian? And, oh, yes, yes. And we, we'd say things like, well, you know, um, how, what do you base that on? And they'd be like, well, my grandfather was the pastor of such and such church. Or I grew up in such and such church. Or I go to this church and all this stuff. And they would lay claim to all these things from their family, their forefathers, and and state that's why they are a Christian. But when you got them down to the nitty-gritty and say, can you explain to me how you were saved? They, they don't want to talk to you because they can't say it. You know, well, I was convicted in my heart I was a sinner, and I, and I knew that I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I repented of my sins and asked him to save me, and he saved me. That very rarely ever happens when you go and knock on doors. But everybody you go knock on the door, they're all Christians. Why? Because they belong to such and such church down the road. Listen, it doesn't matter if you belong to a church. It don't mean you're a Christian. You should be. If you join a church, you should be a Christian. That's part of it. That's what the church is for. But it doesn't mean everybody is. In fact, listen to what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say, make sure you understand that, verse 22 of chapter 7 of Matthew. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so the Bible tells us that there's going to be many that's going to come before Christ, assuming that they're saved. That's going to be these people, probably, that we knocked on door and said, you know, how'd you become a Christian? They said, well, I went to such a church, or I belong to this church, and my papa was a pastor, and all this stuff. These people are going to stand there before the Lord one day, and, and they're going to say, Lord, I, I went to that church. 
I was a member of that church for 50 years. You're surely going to let me in. And he's going to look at him and say, no, I, I didn't ever know you. You're never one of my children. Depart. And so, listen, there's those that believe that just because someone is a Jew, uh, that they're guaranteed salvation. There are those that believe that. There's those that teach that today. There's some that claim we should not even witness to Jews because it doesn't matter. That they don't have to understand and believe the gospel. That God's going to give them a different way in. There's some that believe that. There's some televangelists, very well-known ones, that lean toward that. John Hagee being one of them. Be careful who you listen to. Uh, but there's this false teaching going on that we shouldn't even share the gospel because the Jew has a different way in. God's going to... He's got a different plan for them, and they don't have to trust in the gospel and believe in the Lord Jesus like we do. That that's all for the Gentiles. I believe that's some kind of double, um, I can't remember the name of it right now, a covenant, um, dual covenant theology or something like that. And so Paul is stressing the point here that just because you were born a Jew in the Jewish race, of Israel, it doesn't mean you're automatically saved. It doesn't mean you're automatically one of the chosen. You're not one of the children of God. In fact, it's what he says in the next verse, verse 8, back in Romans 9. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. See that? The flesh, that means blood related. These are not the children of God. So just because your flesh is related to Abraham, that don't make you a children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So the children of the promise are those, as we're going to see, are those that are those of the faith. Now, there's a difference of being a child of the flesh and a child of God. One is a spiritual child and one is a physical child. One is carnal and fleshly. One is spiritual and heavenly. So just claiming Abraham as your father means absolutely nothing. The Jews would make the claim that we're the children of promise, which means they believe they're redeemed because of their lineage. But they're wrong. You can only become redeemed, a child of God. You can only be saved one way. And it's always been the same throughout all history. God has always made salvation by grace through faith. Always. Faith and it's in someone. The Lord Jesus. And you say, well, wait a minute, Brother Byron. Jesus went around in the Old Testament. How could they believe in him? Oh, he's always been. He's always been. Uh, Moses, by faith, believed God. Believed in him. Abraham, by faith, believed in God. It was, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. It's what the Bible tells us. And so there, you can only become a child of God by placing your faith in what God has said you must place your faith in. And that is his son, Jesus Christ. For the, the Jew in the Old Testament, it was the Messiah. They had to believe that promise that God had made. I'm sending you a Savior who is your Messiah. That's what Messiah means as Savior. Same thing as Christ. Christ is the Greek rendition of the Hebrew word uh, Messiah. And it means the same. It's the Savior. The, the anointed one. The one that's been promised. And so the Jew has to come to Jesus to be saved. They have to believe in the Messiah. Uh, like I said, the word Christ is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. The, we, we often say the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his title. 
his, his office. That's what he does. He is the, the Christos, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Lord means Yahweh. When you put Lord before Jesus, that means Yahweh or Jehovah claiming his deity, God's deity. So what, what you're essentially saying when you say the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saying Jehovah, Jesus, the Messiah. That, that's essentially what you're saying. Now, you'll be hard-pressed to ever get a Jew to say those words and believe those words because they don't believe it. They don't believe that this Jesus that we talk about was God in flesh. They don't believe that. Uh, they don't believe that he is Jehovah. They don't believe he's the Messiah, the anointed one. And so they are in darkness, blindness. Their eyes are, are clouded. And so... Um, we know for a fact that Jesus says in John chapter 14, you remember this is before he goes and, and he's uh, betrayed and, and arrested and all this, and he's meeting with his disciples. He'd just been in the upper room with them. They were having the Lord's Supper, and he washed their feet and all this and told them his, his betrayal was coming. And they step out, and they go out there, and he's, you know, he says, you know, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And there was Thomas standing there, and he says, Lord, uh, how do we know? We don't know the way. Can you show us the way? And Jesus said to him in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man, not even you disciples, can get to the Father except you come by me. I'm the only way. I'm the door to heaven. I'm the door to the Father. That goes for Jew and Gentile alike. That goes for the Romans, the Greeks, the Israelites. Anyone, everyone must go through Jesus Christ if you're going to be saved. And so Paul's message to the church in Israel is that just because you're an Israelite, just because you can claim Abraham as father, does not mean that God's promises have been broken. They said, well, well, then why are all the Jews blinded? Then why are they rejecting their Messiah? Why, why, why? And listen, it was never God's intention that everyone is going to be saved. That's a hard pill to swallow. Now, I know the Bible tells us it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But we know for a fact that is not going to happen. And it's just the truth. It's the Bible truth. God chooses those that are saved. Like we've already studied, if you're saved today, God chose you before the foundation of the world. You are one of the elect. Now, I know in the Old Testament, the elect was often referred to as Israel. That is God's elect, sure. But... His promises to Israel as a whole, as a nation. Uh, you have to understand that those promises, yes, God preferred them over all the other nations. And he separated them, and, and his promises are intended to them. However, salvation is a personal, one-on-one -on -one thing with God, not the nation as a whole. So all of Israel collectively is not going to be saved. Now, Israel as a remnant of people, yes, they will be saved because they will believe individually. Not just the whole nation is going to say, okay, uh, we've declared that all the people of Israel are Christians. And everybody say, no, it's not going to work that way. Individual. Salvation is always individual. 
one-on-one -on -one between you and God. And so, his message here, you can think of it this way, the nation of Israel as a whole was elected to the privileges of God, but the individual person of Israel must be elected unto salvation. Chosen unto salvation. And God always has a remnant that's faithful to him. And that is the key right there. Faith. Faith. Those that are of the flesh of Abraham, they can be of spiritual Abraham. They can be a child of the promise if by faith they believe. But those that do not have faith, they are not children of promise. They're not. Over in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, I believe this gives us a, a clear understanding. The Bible says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know you therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. You see that? Those that are of faith are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So there it is. It's very clear from God's word. It's faith that you are one of the promised children of Abraham or redeemed. It's only by faith. And so it all boils down to faith. Those of Israel who have faith receive the blessings and promises of God and eternal life, and that's the way it's always been. And so in the in the final part of our text this morning, we're not going to be able to expound upon it because we need to close this, but verses 9 through 13, I'm going to read them to you, and you're going to see this is him pointing out, look right here, see this? This one that you thought that just because they were physically connected with Abraham were one of the promised children? No. Verse 9, for this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go into those verses this morning, but in a nutshell, what this is saying is, Paul is taking these examples of Abraham's sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And he says, Ishmael was not part of the promise. Isaac was. Isaac is part of, a part of that line because God chose him. He did not choose Ishmael. Ishmael was full of hate. Ishmael was not a believer. Ishmael was never going to believe in the ways of God. Never. And then he uses the next case, Rebecca. He says, uh, the, um, also conceived by one, even by her father Isaac. And then talks about the two children uh, in her. It says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Inside the womb, God already predetermined one of those was not a child of promise. The oldest one, the one that came out first. Remember, Jacob was the heel grabber. He came out second. He's grabbing the old Esau. And God says, even before they did anything, that neither one of them done any evil. That's what it says right there in the Bible. They've not done any evil, but it's the purpose of God according to by election, by God's sovereignty. 
God's sovereignty chooses. And not that he don't choose one to be saved. You can be saved even if God has not chosen you for election. The Bible never says only the elect are saved. It never says that. It says whosoever can be saved. So I believe we can fully understand from God's word that even if you're not considered one of these elect, that you can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ because whosoever shall call on his name. And so here he uses these examples and everybody would have looked and said, now wait a minute, Esau should have been the child of promise. He was the first one born. He deserved it. He should have got it. And here Paul says, no, that's not how it worked. God, before they were even born, before they even came out, he chose the younger one and the older one had to serve him. And what happened? We know the difference between the two. Esau never gave the things of God any thought at all. He was an ungodly man. He sold his birthright for, for a bowl of pottage. And Jacob, we know, his heart was toward God. Now, I know Jacob did a lot of things, the scheming and planning and all those things that he did. But listen, God chose him through election before he was even born to be the child of promise who he would bless that seed, that line through. In fact, he will later call his name Israel. So, look, the, the fact is, to be saved, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're a Jew, a Gentile, a Roman, a Greek, a hillbilly, a East Tennessean, a redneck, a Yankee, whatever you want to be, it doesn't matter. You've got to be saved through Jesus Christ. He is the only way to be saved. And it's by grace through faith. God's grace, he gives you the free gift of salvation through his son Jesus. All we simply do is by faith believe on him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so salvation is not a complicated thing. It's simply believing by faith. You know, I, I believe there's air in this room because I've been breathing for the last 40 minutes. I don't see it. I can't see that air anywhere, but I, by faith, believe it. But that's because that I'm alive and understand that. But the same way, by faith, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to save the world from sin. I believe that just as much as I believe that there's air right here that I'm breathing. There's not a, a doubt in my mind ever I never doubt that that event happened and it happened so that I can be saved. Certainly, I have faith in that. But sadly, there's people in this world today that will not believe that. They think that's some kind of fairy tale. That's some kind of old wives story, you know, that passed around. That can't believe you believe in all that stuff. How in the world could you believe that? Some invisible God up in the air. That's what they say. And so they won't believe it. They will not believe in the gospel. The friends, that's what salvation is, is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection to save you from your sin. It's simple as that. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for the message. Lord, I thank you for not holding anything back from your word, but God, that you give us a full and clear understanding of how you feel and God what it means to be saved and how that we must all come through Jesus Christ for salvation, Jew and Gentile alike. 
God, I'm, I'm thankful that you saved me at six years old. God, you've always been with me. But Lord, I'm praying for that one right now that may be listening. God, I don't know where they're listening from. We have people all over the world that listen to these messages. And God, we're just praying right now. If there's one that's listening that has never believed in the gospel, never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that you will convict their heart and show them that they must be saved. They must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Help them, Father. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. We will probably have to go over that verse 13 in greater detail because I want to make sure that it's fully understood about what it means about God loving and God hating. Um, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that in, in a future, future message. All right, so uh, are all hearts and minds clear this morning? All right, in fear of the Lord, we're separated.